Welcome to the So Podcast. My name is Rukare Gomo, and I am delighted to have a conversation today with our host, John McKenna. I'm pretty consistent when I say to my guest, you know you, so I'm going to invite you to do your own self-introduction about yourself and also the foundation, please. Absolutely. So my name is Rukare Gomo. I'm originally from Zimbabwe. I came to Australia by myself when I was 16 years old with a suitcase and a dream of having an education I would never have had in my home country. Fast forwards 19 years later, how I'm related to is as the founder of the Goma Foundation, a high performance coach and a now practicing lawyer. But what I use my life for is really to empower and enable people to live a wondrous life. That's what's important to me. Obviously, words such as empower excites me, and we hear them a lot, but they are a word that keeps us on track, and it's about self-love. I want to talk about the history, possibly current, and hopefully not too much in the future, about, I'm going to call it the ugly stuff, because we rely on Western media to know what's happening in Africa. Uh, but obviously, you're going to hear things through different lenses and different microphones and different ears from different perspectives. So let's, I don't know, go back three or four, five years about some of the ugly stuff that was going on that really inspired you. Sure. And I think to even get there, I just want to share what the Goma Foundation is. The Goma Foundation's purpose is to unleash the potential of girls in Africa through quality education. Why that's important to me is I grew up in Zimbabwe. My mom was one of the first women in her village to go to high school. And my grandmother was denied an education completely. Yet the women in my life were entrepreneurial. They were smart and clever, yet uh, deprived of opportunities. And for me, That's not okay. And I have a sister too, who is the first female in our entire family to have gone to university. Now, in Zimbabwe and in many parts of Africa, education is important, yet it's not readily available to girls. And that's not the society and the world I want to live in. That's not the world I want for my sister. You say readily available What does it mean to us Western people around the world? What do we mean not available? Great. So, you know, I live here in Australia and the Australian government provides billions of dollars for children to go to primary school and secondary school. You read in the newspaper the debates on, you know, the government funding billions of dollars to independent schools, government schools. That's That's not available in Zimbabwe. They don't have billions of dollars. Our parents have to find a way, for the most part, to even send their kids to school. And so, as if you can imagine being in a family, maybe with three, four children, uh, with limited resources in that home, there's still a mindset in many uh, cultures that it's more valuable to educate the boy over the girl So if there are limited resources, they'll send the boy to school and not the girl. And then that has a huge negative impact on society. 
So some of the negative impacts are girls entering into early marriages, um, girls having children before their bodies are being developed, early pregnancies, STIs, HIV infections, domestic violence. That's the consequence in the society when girls are not being educated. Question about culture and where men are valued more than females. Is this because of uh, physical strength that they can work in a field or correct me if I'm being inappropriate, but I just want to dig a bit deeper about the male compared to the female because we talk about the male being the dominant. Is that because they're, they're a person who can breed or have sperm or are stronger? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What are we talking about? What? And, and it, it's, the, it's the question, you know, but and I, it shows up not just in African culture, it even shows up in Australian culture. It's, it's a conversation that shows up around the world. You just go to India, you know, you'll hear about, you know, boys being favoured over girls. So it's, it, there is a conversation and has been a global conversation that boys are more valuable than girls. And that's historical, whether it's because maybe in African culture, men hunted um, and women were the ones who gathered. I don't, I'm not at the source of it. But if you look globally, there is that, there's always been this conversation that I've been born into that boys are better than girls. You know, in 2020, many of us, not all of us, many of us, I think it's absurd. It's even absurd to try to even understand how that even showed up. <laughs> it's the essence of being human. We are all human, irrespective of your gender, irrespective of the pronoun you identify with. And I think that's why I had my little jumble when trying to <laughs> trying to create this topic because you know, that's, you know, I can't even relate to it, that there is that imbalance. Mm-hmm. But going back to the GOMO Foundation, at the moment, there are some great things going on and I want to go straight to results because it sounds good that you're set up a range of programs which are benefiting many people. But I'm a great believer in that and I think we all are. Give us some hard facts around evidence. There's some really good things happening. What, what are you measuring? Sure. Well, for us, we are measuring the capability of our girls being able to be the leaders of their own life and a contribution back to their own society and their own community. That's what we're actually measuring. We're not measuring how many A's they got. We're not measuring how good their report card is. And I'll, I'll bring that on the court. For example, we had this girl, Cecilia, and uh, she was supported through her entire university education. Unfortunately, her parents, her mom and dad, could not support her. And literally, she had top marks for her year 12. And in Zimbabwe, we called that the A-levels. And she was in the field farming, living on food handouts at that time because she had no resources, money to go to university, the University of Zimbabwe. Fast forward, Cecilia completed four years of her education in accounting. During that period of time, in Zimbabwe, where unemployment is over 90%. She, by herself, created a a paid internship with the Zesa Pension Fund. That's extraordinary because we had provided the support and conversation. 
During her last exams at university, unfortunately, her father passed away. But this is what she said. She said, yes, I am sad, but I'm going to be stronger and I'm going to use this to make me better person. So imagine writing your final year exams after finding and burying your father. Horrible, horrifying. For sure. Today, 2020, in her first year of being out in the workforce, she created a, a job in accounting for herself in a city, Mutare, where I grew up. So I couldn't be prouder because not only did she get a tool called accounting, but she was able to have the kinds of conversations to create opportunities for herself. And this is what Cecilia said to me. She said, Rogare, I now know that I'm not inferior. Just because of my life circumstances, I too can use my voice and tell other girls in my position and situation that they too can make it. That for me is unleashing her potential. I love it. You're talking about uh, education being a key here. Can I also challenge you as the founder of the foundation for those people who value education, but there's also a whole lot of people who don't value education. And for me, that's okay. The reason I say this is I value empowerment. I value choice and control. I value people to be respected. And no doubt for those people who don't like the books and don't want to learn the academic stuff but still want to give to the community, are there any examples, and I'll use the word peer support, where that you may be hearing where people may not be going to the classroom but because of the foundation, it's having a bit of a ripple effect to others who don't? It's a very powerful statement that you said. So for me, quality education is not just in the domain of um, being reading books. Quality education could be people listening to this podcast because they get a whole new perspective for what's possible for their life and which gives them an access to take an action. So for me, what a quality education represents is an ability to take an action that I would not have otherwise been able to, whether it's by going to school, whether it's by talking to John McKenna, whether it's learning to sew, whatever. That for me is my domain of quality education. And so you'll see many people out in the world who have never necessarily gone to school, but are making a huge difference. So what I'd like people to be left with is that making a difference and contributing in society doesn't look in any particular way. I personally am the founder of the Gomo Foundation, but what do I know about not-for-profits? Nothing. I didn't come into this um, knowing about what a not-for-profit really is. I didn't come into setting up a foundation having millions of dollars. In fact, I was in debt but I had a passion and a curiosity of how do I use my skills, my special self-expression um, to make a difference. And every person listening today, I want you to know that you don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like Barack Obama. You don't have to be like the, your friend next door. 
you yourself are unique and you're special and you have skills and talents that you can start unleashing to make a difference today. I like the way you keep using the word quality education. Obviously, not not everybody, but for those of us who have had some beautiful education from our elders, grandparents and friends. It's a bit like we often use the word mentoring and peer support, but I love how you've responded around the value of that other person or that other experience. And you can use the word quality education looking through that lens. Mm. Thanks, John. Wow. It's lovely to reflect. I'm just taking a couple of seconds to um, reflect what you've said because I think it's really powerful and really, really meaningful. Obviously, I don't want to waste this opportunity because I think the Foundation's done some great work. Do you want to share some more uh, headlines about uh, how you're going financially, the buy-in you've had from people around the world, and where are things right at the moment? Sure, and I think I'd like to just share a snippet of my story and in a hope of inspiring the, our listeners today. You know, as I said, I grew up in Zimbabwe and I came here by myself when I was 16 years old. I had to raise over $120,000 to then go to university at the age of 18 years old. The person who is on this podcast today wasn't the person who arrived. Believe it or not, John, I was quiet. I talked like this. Hello. I was shy. I grew up in a context that white people are better than black. And so I felt inferior. On top of that, I'm gay. And in my home country, <laughs> I go to jail for right. being gay. So right. <laughs> I had many, many, many limiting beliefs about myself and about what's possible for me. Some of my limiting beliefs would be, why would anybody want to be my friend? Why would I ever get a job? Who would ever want to work with a black person? Would I get opportunities because I'm gay? And I lived in utter fear. I still had a vision, but I was not free in my mind. I now know that many of us, you know, go through that. When I was going through it, I felt I was the only one in the world feeling that way. <laughs> but it's a shared human experience, of course. Unfortunately, if it doesn't get interrupted, it can lead to mental health issues, um, suicide, and lots of dysfunction in, at the, in home and in society. So I spent a lot of time really pushing through my own limiting beliefs about myself. One of them was being able to make a difference. I'm a nobody. Nobody knows where Mutare is in Zimbabwe. Very few people know where that is. <laughs> I'm not Insta-famous. <laughs> I'm none of that. Does good... <laughs> does Google Maps pick it up? <laughs> it does, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so good GPS, bro. <laughs> fortunately. But what I'm communicating is that I'm just an ordinary person with a desire, wanting to make a difference. And it started by me being open and vulnerable, sharing that I wanted to make a difference back in my communities, particularly where my grandmother was denied the education. So our first programs are in the village where my grandmother was denied an education. And inside of the journey itself, 
It has helped me build confidence. It has helped me connect with people. It has helped me love myself and others in a way I never thought I could. And so I just want to share the hope of all of us are just um, everyday people just with a desire to make a difference. You use the word open and vulnerable. I'd like to ask a bit more about that, please, because (laughs) the word vulnerable can be a negative word. Mm. When you were open and vulnerable, were you conscious of it? Did you know it was those two words you were being? Because, you know know, know where I'm coming from. The word vulnerable is normally a negative word, but what I'm hearing from you is that was actually a bit of a uh, a moment for you uh, that you built on? Yes, I you know I grew up that being vulnerable is weak. You're weak if you're vulnerable. But as I have had more wisdom and surrounded myself with some really decent people, I have learned that vulnerable being vulnerable is the only way to live life. For me, being vulnerable is power. There's no shame with being vulnerable. Inside of being vulnerable, there's a new space for connection. Unfortunately, we have grown up in a world where we are not allowed the space of our humanity. We are flawed as human beings. So anything else to pretend that we're perfect is a lie. I'm not perfect. I'm not good. I make mistakes. And so to pretend otherwise is where you actually inbuild um, mental health issues, you inbuild failures in business, you inbuild the incapacity to actually fulfill on your vision. And what I have discovered about vulnerability and being really open, you know, that even that time when you want, I feel like I want to slightly vomit <laughs> because it's scary. <laughs> in, in those moments, <laughs> I have discovered power. I've discovered the beauty of love. I've discovered people supporting me. I've discovered being carried. I've discovered my own contribution back. That's the space where magic and wonder really can arise in the space of vulnerability. You've answered my question, so I'm not going to go back there. Thank you. That was beautiful. My headphones I'm wearing at the moment, feeling warm. Um, And that's what I want to share with you because... uh, I do lots of podcasts, but right now, it's, although we're using technology with this all online, but uh, I'm hearing you and feeling the energy through my ears and my headphones aren't too tight. I just <laughs> want to share that with you. Thank you very much. I'd like to just share one thing about vulnerability and, you know, as an example. Please do. I nearly went bankrupt. When I left the legal profession to start my own business, I thought I should all have it handled, all of it handled. I should already know how to be the best business person. I should already know how to do my bookkeeping. I should already know how long um, it takes to uh, make a difference to a client. So I never sought help. I never sought contribution because I thought that if somebody finds out I don't know, that would be shameful. If I find out that I don't know, nobody wants to do business with me. The consequence of that was that I was spending money I did not have. I nearly had over $80,000 of credit card debt. And I had to leave, move out of my home, moved into a friend's place, slept on the floor. 
I had to be fed. That was the consequence of me not being vulnerable. Fast forward, inside of the space of being really honest about what I deal with, whether it's in the foundation or in, as in my business as a high-performance coach, I accept I don't have all the answers, but what has opened up is the beauty and magic of having people like you in my life, John. We've met through Jeff, who's on the Wisdom Council of the Goma Foundation and now a board member, you know, over about 10 years ago. You know, I get to create wealth as a black gay man living in Australia, a migrant. I am now starting to create wealth that I can also give back into my communities in Zimbabwe. And that has been about being open and honest. And um, it has made me a better human being and a better leader in the foundation. People like yourself use Be Vulnerable. Steve Jobs from Apple said, remain foolish, I think, Mm. was his catchphrase. (laughs) They They both make a lot of sense. My question to you, any disclaimers around the word vulnerable, all right? If you were to talk and promote the values of being vulnerable to a parent, yes, surely there's got to be some disclaimers around listen to your heart, listen to your soul, and have some measures about you can be over-vulnerable and get in trouble. Yes. Surely we can say that. Absolutely. The, the conversation you're now having is about boundaries, So some people think that being vulnerable is about saying everything that's on their mind to anybody at any time. That's not being vulnerable. That's just saying everything that's on your mind to everybody at any time. (laughs) 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 And so being vulnerable is always expect the other person not to respond the way you want them to. People are not always going to be like, yeah, thanks for being vulnerable. People may have a reaction. (laughs) But the, but the reaction has to do more with them. And for me, when I'm vulnerable, I, I also am listening for my community that have my back irrespective of what I do or don't do. So I have committed listeners. I call them my committed listeners. I have committed listeners in my life, three committed listeners, where I can share everything. And they will never listen to me as my doing. They listen to me as my purpose. I love that. Beautiful, my friend, beautiful. People are going to love this conversation. I can feel it right now. We haven't even published it. We've got to wrap it up soon. But I'm really... (laughs) We have to, brother. We have to. This is so cool. What's missing is a glass of bubbles. (laughs) When you think about it, the best... (laughs) The best, the best chats we've had is a little glass of bubbles. Yes. But we'd be, I don't want to waste the opportunity to talk about the foundation. Yes. Can you please give us an update, and especially people Absolutely. around the world, on where things are at right now, uh, what's coming up, yes. and quote your website? Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for the platform as well to use my voice. Um, but really, I want you to know that the voice I'm using is the voice of all the girls in Zimbabwe who don't have the access to use their voice. I'm very connected to them. So as I'm speaking, I'm also speaking on their behalf. So where we're at right now in the foundation is um, we support girls through their entire education. That's from year seven to year 12, which is from one 
to Form 6 in Zimbabwe. That's high school level. And we have currently had our first two girls complete their entire education, which was extraordinary. And they did exceedingly well um, in their in their in their marks. Now, um, because of COVID, unfortunately, in Zimbabwe, most of the year, our girls have not been at school. So that has been detrimental. So unlike in Australia, where we have homeschooling, where we have access to internet, imagine being in Zimbabwe, you're living in a hut, there's no dedicated electricity, there's no running water, there's no, um, none of that. What they have are wells, candles, there's no internet. So there hasn't been homeschooling. So we have been really concerned on the state of um, our girls being empowered during 2020. And we've been in constant contact with the schools and the teachers are extraordinary because they are, keep, they are trying to keep on finding ways to connect with the students who are dispersed in the rural areas and in the cities, which is very difficult to do. So part of what we have seen is we, we have been creating and looking at what are the new opportunities that we can create in, inside of the new world order for our girls, particularly in the rural areas. In addition to that, to fulfill our purpose, which is unleashing the potential of girls in Africa through quality education, we are also in a conversation of looking at expanding into a new country as well. So it's all about fulfilling on our purpose and creating partnerships to deal with this new world order. We don't have the answers, all the answers, but we are engaged with the community to find the answers. So we, we, that's, that's what we are constantly doing. It's not we are here in Australia telling people in Zimbabwe what to do. They have the answers themselves, but it's about how do we help facilitate bringing that to life together. Your website, please. Our website is www.gomofoundation.org.au. It's been a great chat. Thank you for making my headphones feel warm and my heart and my soul. Uh, we're both in lockdown Melbourne, uh, but what a lovely story. And thank you for sharing. Thank you again, John. Thank you for the opportunity. Mm-hmm.